and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Andrea Cunliffe. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with my report from the court New York Deserves rally. Then our labor bucket, we hear more from Bernie Sanders' speech at this year's Labor Notes Conference. Later on, we pass by the Troy Central Little League for their annual turkey giveaway. After that, Caroline Tennant speaks with Flockhart founder Susan Thomas about a Sleepy Hollow-themed event at Woodland Hill Montessori. Finally, Jennifer Lawson of Friends of Chamber Music joins us to talk about the Salon Seance performance, The End of Time, taking place at the Sanctuary for Independent Media on Saturday, November 19th. But first, here are the headlines. The Times Union reports that new district lines for the State Assembly are due to be proposed by the Independent Redistricting Commission by December 2nd. While the state's highest court rules that the present lines are unconstitutional, the ruling came too late to redraw the lines prior to the recent election, unlike what happened with district lines for state Senate and Congress. The new lines will then undergo a public comment period and review process. The Times Union reports that the theft of used grease from area restaurants has increased significantly. The grease is reprocessed into biodiesel, which sells for more than $5 a gallon. Disability rights groups rallied this week at the state capitol, urging Governor Hochul to support a pay raise for such caregivers. The economic climate that has led to a reported uh, record level of vacancies and turnover among care workers. The state budget adopted in April saw a cost of living adjustment of 5.4%, the first meaningful adjustment in a decade. Workers are calling for agencies to receive wage enhancements of $4,000 for every eligible employee, which would enhance year, uh, hourly rates of pay to around $2.19 per hour. Wait, can that be right? It would raise the pay. Oh, it would raise the pay $2.19 per hour. Thank you. <laughs> Great. And the rig is whoops, more than 750 formerly incarcerated women are to sue state, the state, over sex abuse in prisons and jails. The lawsuit reflects victims from only a handful of facilities. The lawsuits are scheduled to be filed November 24th, when a year, a one-year window opens for claims to be filed under the Adult Survivors Act. Many of the victims were unable to sue until they were released from custody, and by that time, the statute of limitations had expired. The Gazette reports that more than 100 floats will participate in the annual Big Dream Holiday Parade in Schenectady this Saturday. The parade starts at 5 p.m. near SUNY Schenectady and proceeds down State Street and turns onto Lafayette Street. And that's it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. 
To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org or email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or even call 518-272-2390. The Court New York Deserves rally and press conference with all of us, Center for Community Alternatives, Poor People's Campaign, Vocal New York, and others to demand a new chief judge who will protect the rights of New Yorkers and our democracy. The chief judge is the head of both the Courts of Appeals, New York's highest court, and the entire state court system. Andre Cunliffe reported from that rally. Here's some excerpts. The chief judge is head of both the Court of Appeals, New York's highest court, and the entire state court system. The Commission on Judicial Nomination is currently reviewing applications and interviewing selected candidates for this appointed position. It will release a short list of seven candidates by November 25th. Earlier this month at a rally and press conference with All of Us, Center for Community Alternatives, Poor People's Campaign, Vocal, and others were there. Here are excerpts from that event. Hi, what can I do for you? Hi, my name is Andrea Cunliffe. I'm from Satsuma Magazine. Tell me why you're here today. Okay. My name is Marvin Mayfield. I'm director of organizing with the Center for Community Alternatives. We work with people's families and uh, those who have been formerly incarcerated and uh, who have justice impacted to uh, teach them and to help them to empower themselves and get involved in the political process so that they can be a voice and help each other. The reason we're out here today is to enforce judicial accountability today. We know that the chief judge is one of the most powerful positions in New York State, and we want to be certain that the next chief judge is someone that is in tune to the needs and the sensibilities of all New Yorkers, not just the privileged few, but all. In this particular position, the chief judges will be an appointee, so we have to implore, we have to encourage our governor to make sure that that appointment is someone who is for all New Yorkers. Now you as a citizen or other people who want to get involved, we call our legislators. We must let them know that we are concerned about it. They listen. If you call, they will listen. You see a small gathering here and it's such a major issue. Mm -hmm. How much of that voice gets heard across the street? Absolutely. You're quite right. But the, the beauty of the thing is, is that we had a small group here, but we were on to the world in Zoom and across the nation, across New York. I think we reached all of New York today with our message of getting involved. So even though we were small in here, we are big in numbers on, over the air and big in heart. Thank, Thank you so much for your Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Hi, my name is Madeline Hogan. I am a recovery program support specialist for Youth Voices Matter New York. It's, uh, there's a lot of men and women that are behind bars right now in New York State that could be out here trying to make the world a better place, the state a better place, um, and it doesn't have to be like that. A good place to start is with treatment, not jail, which is very important. Part of our mission is to educate the public that treatment is episodic. Treatment happens in facilities. Recovery is what happens in communities. Recovery is what happens after treatment, and the goal of treatment is to get people into recovery. It's an honor and a privilege to represent the recovery community as a whole. And so we are really imploring Governor Hopeful and the New York State Senate to appoint a chief judge who is going to support therapeutic solutions over punitive measures. A good place to start is appointing a chief judge that has humanitarian values and that is aware of the needs of the recovery community and that looks at folks who use drugs as human beings that deserve dignity. Thanks. That's all I got.
Yes, man, everybody. Our next speaker is Joe Paparone, lead organizer for the Labor Religion Coalition of New York State and leader of the Poor People's Campaign New York. Please welcome Joe. Poor everyone. In his book, Stride Toward Freedom, which is a reflection on the Montgomery bus boycott, Dr. King talks about when the movement was finally able to bring their suit before a federal court. This is months into the campaign, after all the violence that they faced, after all of the frustrations and limitations that they were just hitting a wall in these Jim Crow courts, in these Jim Crow institutions. King describes walking into a federal court and saying, this is a place, this feels like we would have an honest chance at justice here before the law. Now, flash forward to today, we have a different situation, but it is still obvious that the courts at every level, from the Supreme Court down to our local city and county criminal courts, to the eviction courts that happen here, are not places where justice can be found for poor and working class people. So presently, our court systems are stacked against poor and working class people and their interests. And their interests are broader societal interests. Those are common good causes of justice and human rights for all. In the Poor People's Campaign, we say when you lift from the bottom, everybody rises. And that's not some pithy, a rising tide lifts all boats. That is a structural change to our system that understands the poor and dispossessed as the leading force of society, that if those needs are met, then everyone's needs will be met. And so right now, our governor has an incredible opportunity that while rights are being eviscerated, stripped away by federal courts and legislation, New York could be a place where human rights are protected. So the appointment of a new chief judge who can bring new depths of experience to the bench, who will be committed to upholding our values, is an opportunity that our governor cannot pass on. This decision can be a major step towards giving New Yorkers, especially poor and working class New Yorkers, an honest chance of justice before the law. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Our next speaker will be Robin Rain, the political director for the Mint. Thanks so much, Marvin. Uh, it is such a privilege to be here with allies from across the state who are fighting for the court that we deserve yeah. and not the court that we have right now. My name is Bravin. I'm the political director at For the Many. At For the Many, we organize immigrants, students, and other working class residents of the Hudson Valley to fight for a New York that works for all of us and not just the greedy few. One of our most important campaigns this past year has been fighting for good cause eviction both locally and here in Albany statewide. This law addresses the power imbalance between tenants and landlords and protects tenants from arbitrary rent increases and predatory evictions. And we did that by bringing allied organizations together, but most importantly, by organizing hundreds of tenants who stood up in the face of landlord intimidation and displayed immense courage by making their voices heard. However, these hard-fought tenant protections are now under threat by landlords and corporate real estate. These wealthy and powerful actors are trying to use their resources in order to try and defeat these democratically won protections by suing municipalities. The city of Albany's law was struck down, and while the city's appeal is being processed, the law is back in effect. These cases will now be decided on appeal. The housing security of thousands of tenants now hangs in the balance. 
eventually these challenges will almost certainly be heard right here at the Court of Appeals. That is why we are calling on Governor Hochul and the State Senate. Make them hear us. Governor Hochul, can you hear us? We're calling on you to appoint a chief judge who will affirm tenant rights under the law. The chief judge is one of the most powerful people in the state as the head of the entire state court system. We must demand that the governor and the state senate confirm a chief judge who will use their position to affirm the rights of working class people, who is not a former prosecutor, and whose professional experience reflects a commitment to protecting those most vulnerable and those who will stand up to these undemocratic lawsuits by greedy landlords and corporate real estate and affirm the rights of working class people. Thank you all so much. Powerful, thank you, thank you. Our next speaker, Mike Kink, Executive Director of the Strong for All Coalition. Mike! Thanks, it's good to be here. You know, national politics is getting really scary. The federal courts are taking our rights away. Federal politicians are cracking down on progressive moves to tax the rich, to raise wages for working people, to organize labor unions. And as federal government and federal politics gets more scary, the things that we do here in New York get more important. There was a time when this court behind us was a national beacon of progressive value. Right. And now is the time for our elected officials, for our governor, for our state senate yeah. and assembly leaders, for all New Yorkers to move us forward. Yeah. Right now, the scales of justice are out of balance. Our prior governor put so many corporate lawyers and so many prosecutors and so many conservatives on this court that this court is fighting against us instead of with us. Yeah. And we need a court of appeals that will work with the people of New York to make progress, not a court of appeals that will pull us back. Now's the time we need the court that New York deserves, and a new chief judge has to take us forward, not backwards. Thank you. Yeah. Our next speaker will be Kate Carrera, Deputy Director of Environmental Advocates New York. Hi, thank you. I just want to say I'm so grateful to hear all these personal stories, people who have been impacted by the criminal justice system, incarceration. My story is a little bit different. Um, I don't have that personal story, but I am here fighting for the environment every day. And there's a lot at stake right now. New York has always been a leader with environmental laws of protection. And recent years, New York has blazed ahead with some of the most aggressive and nation-leading laws, our climate change law, the Climate Leadership Community Protection Act, laws to regulate PFAS chemicals and drinking water supplies in 2020. And as of last year, New Yorkers overwhelmingly voted to place a right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment in the Bill of Rights section of the New York State Constitution. Just hear that. That's for all New Yorkers, all communities. So there's a lot at stake right now. The leadership, the Court of Appeals and the leadership from the chief judge has the power to strike down laws, constrain the legislature. It's also very important in obviously interpreting the state's constitution. So the stakes at are high in New York and all these environmental laws and rights to be upheld. And we know that these nation leading laws will be challenged in years to come. Just yesterday, a report was released talking about the fossil fuels interests fighting against the state's climate law and have spent over 50 million dollars 
in lobbying campaign contributions to fight that law, to build out it possible infrastructure. Deep-pocketed interests will try to knock down our state's environmental laws at every turn and through every avenue. Upholding and favorably interpreting the state's climate law is more important than ever, especially in light of the Supreme Court's recent ruling to severely limit the authority of the EPA in regulating greenhouse gases, which are causing climate change and destroying our communities. Increasingly, the fight for justice will be fought in state courts. The state court rulings affect the quality of the air we breathe, the water we drink, the safety of our communities, the contours of our fundamental right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment will have to be defined by this court. We call on Governor Hochul to nominate a justice that has demonstrated the commitment to protecting and upholding environmental laws of the state and the rights of all New Yorkers. Thank you. This is Andrea Cunliffe reporting for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. The Commission on Judicial Nomination is currently reviewing applications and interviewing selected candidates for the appointed position, and it will release a short list of seven candidates by November 25th. Now we go back to June, which is when Labor Notes held their conference in Chicago. Roaming Labor correspondent covered the rally, uh, the conference virtually, and last week we shared the first part of the presentation by Bernie Sanders, and here's some more of it. Just, just today, I visited with striking UAW workers in Racine, Wisconsin, and Burlington, Iowa. They are striking against a company, Case New Holland Industrial, that is owned by Exer, a Dutch holding company, which in turn is owned by the Agnelli family, one of the richest families in Italy, worth some $19 billion. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about corporate greed. This company is enjoying record-breaking profits, and now they are going to their workers demanding massive cutbacks in health care, including a $13,000 deductible for family health care. Which is basically meaning no health care at all. Now, the wealth and the power and the greed of the corporate elite is the bad news, but here is some very good news. And I know that it is news that you have been hearing all day. And that is what we are seeing in a way that we have not seen for many years is not only workers standing up and fighting back by going on strike, but a level of organizing effort that we have not seen for a long, long time. seeing workers taking on billionaires and telling them they ain't gonna get away with their greed anymore. And that's the case at Amazon. Chris and his allies are taking on the second wealthiest guy. 
and the folks at Starbucks are taking on another billionaire, Howard Schultz. But I want you to know it's not just blue-collar workers, it's white-collar workers as well. We're seeing people organize the adjunct faculty at MIT. In my city and in other large hospitals around this country, resident doctors, young, young doctors, often with enormous student debt, have voted overwhelmingly to form unions because they don't want to work 80 hours a week for 60,000 a year. Furthermore, maybe most importantly, you know, I know that the corporate media and the mainstream politicians say that those of us in this room are radical, we are unrealistic, but the truth of the matter is, in many senses, they are the people who are extreme, not us. So I want you to know, I want you to know that poll after poll shows that on every major issue that we are fighting for, the American people in some cases overwhelmingly are with us and our agenda. The American people understand that health care is a human right. They want Medicare for all. The American people want us to take on pharma and cut prescription drug prices in half. The American people are demanding that Congress act to make sure the wealthiest people in this country start paying their fair share of taxes. They want us to address the crisis in childcare and in pre-K. They want to build the millions of units of affordable housing we desperately need. They want us to cancel student debt and make public colleges and universities tuition free. They want us to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, more than 15 bucks an hour. And they want us to create millions of jobs, transforming our energy system away from fossil fuel and helping to save this planet for future generations. In other words, the American people are telling us that they want a government that represents everybody and not just billionaire campaign contributors. The last point 
that I want to make is that the time is long overdue for us to take on and challenge the uber-capitalist culture of today. You know, hundreds of thousands of people have criminal records in this country today for the quote-unquote crime of smoking marijuana. Yes, we will legalize it. But, but, and this is what I mean about our current culture. Smoking marijuana in a number of states today is illegal. But I'll tell you what's not illegal. It is not illegal for the heads of major oil and coal companies who knew 40 years ago that their product was helping to destroy the planet. And what they did with that information is to fund organizations who lied about the reality of climate change. It is not illegal for the heads of drug companies to raise prices so that millions of people cannot afford the medicine they desperately need and some of them die. That's not illegal. There was a study that came out today from Yale and the estimate is that 338,000 people died during the pandemic unnecessarily because we do not have Medicare for all. Over 300,000 people, but it is not criminal for those people to spend huge amounts of money continuing the corrupt and dysfunctional healthcare system that we have. So brothers and sisters, we are in truly a pivotal moment in American history. And our job, our job is to bring the working class together. Black and white, Asian American, Native American, gay and straight. Our job is to bring our people together. Around an agenda that says we are going to put an end to this outrageous level of corporate greed. And in fact, we are going to provide the working families with the respect the dignity and the security that they deserve. Thank you all. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Tell me which side are you on? Willie Terry reported on the Labor Notes Conference from earlier this year, which included Bernie Sanders. This was part two of that speech.
For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahiki. And I'm Andrea Cunliffe. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, W. O-O-G-L-P 92.7 FM Troy, W-O-O-S-L-P 98.9 FM Schenectady, and W-O-O-L-P 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at medium mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. And if you like what you hear, sharing is caring. Support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Every year, Troy Central Little League gives away away free turkeys to the neighborhood. Hudson Mohawk Magazine headed over to speak up, to soak up the joy that this event provides for the community. The first voice you'll hear is Uncle Mac. Oh Can you goodness. describe? So I'm, we're standing in boxes in front of the Troy Central Little League. What's in them? Love. Pleasure. Fulfilling. Joy and happiness. Some people say turkey, but a lot of people say Thanksgiving. Thankful to have something to give. That's what's in the box. Food is not only nurturing as nutrition, but it's also really important to nurture the soul. Can you talk about that aspect of it, which I think is kind of what you were alluding to? Well, I was more alluding to being grateful, being humble, and being happy. And when you have this right here, you bring a smiling face to each and every one that cannot afford to even have a meal, but they're gonna get one. And it's not costing them nothing. So that's the greatest part about it because it's given. Thanksgiving is given, and we are given, and these things that we are given is love, respect, and we love what we do. Very simple. Hi, how are you? Hi, uh, coming for turkey? Yes. All right, how many are you picking up? One. One? Okay, so if you just sign there. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yes. Ha, is this your first year coming to pick up a turkey? No. How long have you been coming to pick up turkeys? Ever since they were doing it. How long has that been? Uh, I can't tell you how long it's been, but I can tell you ever since they've been doing it. That's how long. What does this mean to you? Just giving something back to the community means a lot. You know, there's some people who can't have turkeys. And, you know, this is nice. Linwood Tyson. Thank you. So what's taking place here? Can you give some context? Where are we? What's going on? Where are we? We are at the Troy Central Little League on the corner of 7th and Swift in Troy, New York, 12180. Yeah, I'm Theodore. I'm Theodore, but I'm not a chipmunk. Yeah, so I've been volunteering here for a number of years, and I just enjoy it. And this is my way of giving back after being such a horrible citizen when I was a kid. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I was good. But, yeah, I just enjoy doing this. It's awesome. But we're doing it, like I said, by the book. we got to follow the book because Miss Joyce don't play. <laughs> See, we love that word community. And if you look inside the word community, there's unity. So we look at it this way. We look at it that we have to come together to do things together. 
because nobody can do things by themselves. It's never going to work out that way for a lot of people. But you know, when they say, yeah, she's got five. But when they say that I, 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 I don't exist. Not here at Choice Central. It's not I here. At Choice Central is we. It's we build this together. It's we do this together. It's we are happy together. So we join together as one. There's no, there's no big eyes, no little eyes. It's a one big word, we. Let's talk about that a little more. Who is, who are you working with? Who makes this possible? Well, right over there for years. Her, Monica, and my wife, Joycelyn. Those two, I don't know. I just don't know. Sometimes they get me into stuff I have to... And the Valenti family, but 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 right now, but right now, you know, it's what you see right here. Exactly what you see right here is what it really is. And this is the um, this is the wonderful part. You know, we talk about coming together as one. There you go. And we've been doing this for years. We've been doing this for years, and we're going to continue to do it as long as we're able to do it. As long as we're able to serve the community, we're going to serve the community. This is what we do. So how many turkeys are being given away for free today? Today, we have a whole lot of turkeys. We have a whole lot of turkeys. We have other uh, entities that we're going to give turkeys to as well, uh, like school two. We're putting turkeys to the side for school two, and we will make sure that school two has the turkeys for the families. and. Uh, and what you see right now is what we are going to be giving away, giving away. And uh, we're going to make sure that everybody, we already sent out about 25 to 30 turkeys already. That's already hitting. As you can see, they're pulling up in their cars, they're coming out, they're getting ready to come get their turkeys, and you can smile along with them. We don't, you don't hear us say, you don't hear us say uh, Thanksgiving, right? Saying we thank you. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm Monica Kuzieski. <laughs> and I hear you have been participating in the turkey giveaway for quite many years. Yeah, so back when I was the deputy mayor for the city of Troy, uh, the Valeni family, Roddy Valeni's family, uh, reached out to us with a whole program where they wanted to give back to the community that they were a part of. So they asked me to coordinate and connect with organizations in the city to see if there was some need for what they were looking to do. So over the years we've done various things through turkeys, we've done sides before, um, all kinds of different things. And they're just such great people to work with and they really care about the community. So I helped them coordinate this and then when I left the city earlier this year, Mac and Joyce reached out to me and said, hey, we still have a need. So I reached out to my friends and said, is this something we can still do? And they said, Absolutely. So um, they love to do it every year. So we've developed this lovely relationship and we just keep it going because we love Joyce and Mac and the community and I love the North Central community. It's been a part of my heart for many, 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 many years. So. Did we get the three for the one gentleman? Is this your first year coming to pick up turkeys? No, no, I'm a regular. What does this mean to you? It means a lot. I can feed my family now. It's a great thing. They do a great thing for this community. Here you go. I appreciate it. Yeah, I only need one. That's enough. What's the most important part of Thanksgiving for you? Oh, spending time with my family. That's the best part about it. Seeing the family. Thank you. Can I get your name? Lee Wallace. Thank you.
All right. Happy Thanksgiving. Are you here for bird? I'm here for some turkey talk. <laughs> well, I ain't talking. I'm not gobble gobbling. So you you Can I ask you? Uh, yes, ma'am. So, you have two turkeys there? Yes, ma'am. Is this your first year picking them up? Yes, ma'am. First year? How did you hear about it? Through that young man right there who goes to my church, Mac Arthur Henderson, Deacon Mac. How important is uh, this community for you? This is very important. I grew up here. I love it. I, I, I'm a part of it. I'm a part of it. So, yeah, this is beautiful. And what does Thanksgiving mean to you? It means just being thankful for every day for, yeah, just being thankful for every day that God gives us above earth. And, uh, yeah, life is good. Regardless of what's going on around you, life is good. So, yeah, and then you guys are just even that much better. So, God is good. It's God's grace. So, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. But thank you. Can you give your name? My name is James Maven. They call me Chick, but yeah. Yes, man. Thank you so much. Thank happy you. Thanksgiving. Happy, happy, happy to everybody that you know and touch. Thank you. We want to thank Troy Central Little League for all that they do for the community. We want to thank Uncle Mac, Joyce Henderson, and everyone else who is a part of that fabulous community spot. Next up, Flockhart founders Susan Thomas and artist-in-residence Blair Lambert spoke with Carolyn Tennant about Sleepy Hollow-themed event coming to Woodland Hill, Montessori. This family-friendly event and evening will include various period-related activities, making butter, pressing apples, and live folk music, a lantern walk, bonfires, and a lot more. Hi, I'm here speaking with Susan Thomas and Blair Lambert. Uh, Susan has begun a really wonderful initiative called Flock Art, which is right now located at Woodland Hill Montessori out in DeFriestville. And there's going to be a really fantastic event coming up this Friday that uh, has been in the planning for a while now and will be involving Blair Lambert, an artist that we also have joining us. So I was wondering, Susan, um, in advance of talking a bit more about what's happening Friday and letting people know all the wonderful activities that are coming up, if you could talk a little bit more about Flock Art and how your background came to um, create this endeavor, what inspired your vision for it, and how things are moving along with your work. So I am an artist. I went to college for art. I worked as an art director in advertising for a long time. I've always been a creative person. And so the idea of flock art came around because it was COVID and I was feeling the need to like get back into the community and give back to the community because I felt like we were kind of in a very like divisive time. And I'm like, how can I help with the strengths that I have? How can I help create a strong, creative, loving community event space. And so I came up with the idea of flock art. The idea was to bring communities together that maybe wouldn't get together normally. And the vision was to go out into rural communities, go into urban settings and bring different art to these people and introduce the school communities to the artists and have them feed off each other in like a really positive way that I know art has always been the positive thing in my life. I started with Woodland Hill and I asked the head of school, I said, I have this idea 
would you let me do this and see how it pans out? I'm going to bring artists and I'm going to make community. I'm going to write a parallel curriculum so we can have the things that the children are learning in school directly relate to the artist who's in the gallery space, directly relate to the things that inspire that artist and learn about the style of the artist and then have that artist run a community project. So not only the teachers and the children, but also the families would be able to have this like back and forth relationship and really get to know artists and what it is to be an artist. And I've always found that artists are, they're strong people because you have to believe in yourself to be an artist. <laughs> you have to really believe in your vision because um, it's not, it's not a path that's easy to take. That's where I created Flock Art. And Woodland Hill has been kind enough to let me kind of feel out all the different aspects of creation and education in the art field that I felt like I could do. You had mentioned parallel curriculum. And yeah. I'm curious how you've seen that with the different artists you've been working with, how that's been embodied in the, the work that students are doing daily. Could you explain a little bit how you've been able to, you know, weave? Sure. So our first artist that we had was Fernando Oriana, and he did the mural on the outside of the container. And so the children got to observe his mural making, and they got to make and design their own murals. They did mass studies on how to take a small image and enlarge it to the size of whatever mural size they need to. So they did a little math lesson and they would blow up pieces of the mural and have to use it as a puzzle. Like the younger children would color in different sections of the mural and then they have to like puzzle it, put it back together in a way that made sense. And then we did some class trips down to look at the mural art in downtown Albany. So like the street art. So we had a tour and they could see like what's happening, what's fresh, what's going on down in the city now, as far as like modern mural making. I really wanted to build up the local art scene in Albany. The more I dive into it, the more exciting and talented the pool here is. Um, and an interesting thing is Fernando just did another mural on the bike trail in Bethlehem. And I had a parent from Woodland Hill recognize the style, text me a photo of her at the mural and say like, this is our artist, Fernando. And so they had that connection. So this is their artist and then they'll support the artist and then the artist can grow. You know, it just feels like if you have a, a, a relationship with someone and it means something that helps the artist grow and become more independent. Like it's hard to be an artist, right? So you mentioned your interest in moving um, around to different communities. What are the next plans? So I actually have partnered with Collarworks in Troy and they are a nonprofit. So now I have nonprofit status because I'm part of the Collarworks family. Actually working with Collarworks has really made it more of a possibility for me to be able to expand because they have a, a large network of artists and a bigger Rolodex. <laughs> so it's coming together slowly. It's only been a year. I already have next year planned out at Woodland Hills, last year at Woodland Hills, and then we're definitely moving. We haven't figured out where yet, but we hope to have another gallery space up and running September of next year. And Blair, uh, your, your experience recently working with the students, can you tell us a little bit more about yeah. how that came to be and what you've been up to? So I have a background in art education. I went to Pratt for um, my graduate studies in art education. So that's kind of my deal, in addition to my painting and drawing and all of that. 
so I, I was more formal in, in my community project. And then I went into the classroom and taught, I think it was primary um, and lower elementary and middle schoolers. I did two lessons with them. And then I did very formal lesson plans. Um, my paintings are centralized around kind of looking very closely, being quiet, taking your time. And so we did lessons that focused on that sort of practice. Um, which was a challenge for a lot of our, a lot of them, because <laughs> I think very rarely they're asked to really just look at a leaf for about 15 minutes, but it worked out really great. It was great. I had a great experience. The art department was wonderful. They let me come in. The kids were wonderful. I mean, the work that they have is absolutely lovely. And we're going to have that on show as well on Friday. Like it's a good art teaching residency in addition to being allowed to show my work. Blair was my daughter who now is 14, her first art teacher. Blair has this way of expanding a child's mind. And so I, that's where Blair, I felt like she would be great for this model because I knew she would recreate the space inside. I knew she would do an installation type work and then she has beautiful work anyway. And so what's happening, her, she has a very moody encaustic paintings. When we were talking about like, what does it make you feel? She was like, Sleepy Hollow, it's like, it's spooky. It's, and so we kind of ran with that Sleepy Hollow theme and the whole point or the whole thing I like to do is I like to, to be very educational, very creative. And so I was like, how can we blow this out and include as many students in it as possible? So um, we have violin players. They've been studying fiddle music from the time period of uh, Washington Irving, from the time period of the story. The librarian picked out some age-appropriate Sleepy Hollow stories that the kids can learn more about the folklore. And then we've been baking um, time period high, like shoe fly pie. They learned how to spin wool and they're going to be weaving. But I feel like every student has had a piece in it, either through working with Blair directly or the curator club has been helping to like curate the event along with the space and along with just like how the event is supposed to make everyone feel and then there's this lantern walk through the woods it's a woodland hill tradition to do this lantern walk it was like a great partnership the lantern walk with Blair's show and then like all these old tiny um events so that's that's what's happening we're making butter we're a, a parent made a cider press so I'm Yay. getting apples and they're gonna press their own cider I mean it's just the list goes on. It's only an hour and a half. And there's a lot to fit in. My Will husband, there be heating? I think there's like little, it won't be too cold. It's going to be cold. My <laughs> husband's in charge of all the bonfires. We're having bonfires on oh, the field. And that's, that's the funny. end of the lantern walk. It'll take you to the bonfires. And then we have heating lamps that are going to be out inside of the gallery. So the fiddler's hands won't get too cold. Because <laughs> they've been working on this fiddle music. And they're excited because they're performing, doing solo, wandering. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just going to be great. Well, it sounds like there's a lot in, in the future of Flock Art. And certainly we're very excited about this Friday, the opening, all of the fantastic events. And this is free and open to the public. Um, yeah. It is on the Woodland Hill campus, um, which is in DeFreesville. And again, it's Friday. What time does it start, Susan? It's at 6. 6 to 7.30, a witching hour for sure. Yes. Um, it was really wonderful speaking with both of you, Blair Lambert, Susan Thomas from Flock Art. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Great. See you there. That was Carolyn Tennant interviewing Flock Art founder Susan Thomas and artist-in-resident Blair Lambert about their upcoming Sleepy Hollow-themed event coming to 
Woodland Hill Montessori on Friday from 6 to 7.30. Salon Seance comes to the sanctuary, the sanctuary for independent media here. We've been playing interviews about this every week for about five weeks now. I'm sure you could hear all of them. They're on our events page. But we're now joined by Friends of Chamber Music President Jennifer Larson to tell us more about this event. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about this. So it's a crew of 10 people who are arriving from New York City. One is the artistic creator, a researcher, four musicians, an actor, and this is going to be an immersive presentation of one of the greatest works of the 20th century, Olivier Messiaen's Quartet for the End of Time, and a retelling of the story. Well, I know you saw a production of this while it was being developed in New York City a while ago, about a year ago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or did. And what inspired did. you to, to think that we should see more of it? We should see it up here in upstate. Well, coincidentally, when Mari Lee, who's the artistic director, contacted me to invite me to her um, pilot uh, as they were workshopping this, I was already thinking about presenting this very work and which musicians I would put together and um, where we would do it. And it just is a work that was calling to me because of all the things that we've been through as um, as Americans, as citizens, um, and with COVID, this is a hopeful work that launches you into the future. And I was craving to hear it and craving to share it. And coincidentally, Mari Lee was working on a unique presentation of this work. So um, I jumped at the chance to go see it. There were a few things I thought were really tremendous right off the bat. Um, most of the people in the room were under the age of maybe 45, maybe even 35. So it was a young audience. Adding this aspect of storytelling, just it just set the context for the work. And I have to say that the hairs on my arms were standing up. And I just thought to myself, this was... This was the one work I most wanted to share with people here in the capital region. And and kind of give us an idea of what makes it so unique, because it really is a unique experience. And I love the idea of, of working a bit of theater in with such a brilliant piece of music. Right. Well, it works especially well for this, because the story surrounding the music is is so compelling that this was um, this was a piece of music that the composer Olivier Messiaen said uh, was the first time he tried a number of of adventurous techniques in music and it set the stage for everything that he composed after that point but it was something that was it came out of wartime it was composed in a prisoner of war camp and it was played by, by prisoners of war for prisoners of war and, and their captors and keepers. So 
what's remarkable about about the peace is that it was positive during the time of darkness. And to tell the story while you while you perform it or around the music just uh, makes it a whole experience. And, and you decided that um, you decided to choose the sanctuary to be a part of this experience, which I think is really wonderful because the sanctuary has got a great atmosphere and it's a beautiful space. Right. Yeah, that was something I was thinking about. Um, Mari Lee has has uh, created this to be an intimate production, uh, sort of a theater in the round for a small audience. And so she wanted smaller venues. And Friends of Chamber Music is always seeking partnerships because you can you can reach a community better if you do it in partnership with others who also are working towards making community. And so the chance to do this with the sanctuary was really great, really great. Well, I know there's some absolutely world-class musicians coming up with Mari Lee. I mean, she is, as well as... Mm-hmm. As uh, so the musicians, you want to give us a little bit of information about what they're like? So, Yuna Kim, who is the clarinetist, is a real star. Um, she won Young Concert Artist. She is a really sought-after clarinetist, recitalist, soloist, um, amazing player. The The others are all New York-based Juilliard graduates and and people who've played at Marlboro if you know chamber music you know that that is uh, that is the mark of a great career if you've had a chance to play at the Marlboro festival and Mari Lee has played at Marlboro festival and I believe all of them have wow but it's something that makes this really really unique often you see these immersive productions and they are the immersive productions are more about the production and more about the theater than they are about the music. But this is exquisitely played, the highest level. And to couple that with this this immersive presentation that is really a whole work from beginning to end. Yeah, it should be a very special a special experience for anyone who's there. You're going to be there, Sina, uh, are you? Absolutely. And what I love is is that it's adding this extra component. You mentioned how important Messian's work is to music. And by adding this extra component, it, it includes like a wider audience, but also it modernizes mm-hmm. the themes. And so at the sanctuary, we're connecting it to how these themes of, of trauma are currently felt in youth and the community and could you talk a little bit about how like the the themes and how they resonate today yes i mean as somebody who was experiencing covid and being locked in my home and everybody else was uh the whole time early on in the pandemic i felt like i just wanted to be launched into the future to to escape from to escape from the situation. And so I feel like there is something of that in this piece of music that I am sure resonates with everybody. 
he based it on the book of Revelation, but not the scary, um, uh, not the scary angels, uh, the last <laughs> angel that presents a new and clean and beautiful world, launches you into a future that is, that is better. And that is really a universal theme for anyone who's struggling with anything, uh, that there is hope and um, something better out there and that it's worth your, worth your perseverance and um, worth applying all your resilience and, and resourcefulness uh, to whatever situation you're in. Thank you so much. We're so um, looking forward to this. Thanks, Jennifer. Oh, we'll see you, you on Saturday. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, and uh, the event page with all of those interviews that we mentioned and a previous interview with you, Jennifer, is on the uh, Sanctuary Media, sanctuary.org website. And we're running out of time, but any last quick words from you, Jennifer? Uh, Yes. When you come in to this experience, you're going to step into the world they've created for you. And so from the moment you step in the door... You're part of this, um, part of Messian's world, part of their world. And I'm sure it's going to change everyone who, who takes part. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's-, and that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Andrea Cunliffe. And I'm Sita Bazila-Hickey. Enge- Oops, and our engineer is... <laughs> Sina Basila Hickey, thank you, Sina. And our volunteers, thank you, Andrea. And also other volunteer contributors to today are Willie Terry, Carolyn Tennant, and and yeah. You and I. <laughs> it's been a great show. <laughs> Well, we want to hear from you. So we thank you for your volunteer work, everyone. And we thank you for listening. Please, uh, we want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at mediasanctuary.org or send us an email at HMM at Media Sanctuary. So tune in weekdays at 7 uh, a.m. and 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Thanks for tuning in.